Good morning, everyone. My name is Carrie Stratton, and I'm excited to share with you this morning some of what God has been teaching me recently. Is this good? I'm doing okay. Um, but first, I'm going to start by making sure you're all awake, and I have a question for you. Now, this is what I got to figure out. So I'm. Did that work? Yeah. No. Bottom one. Ah. All right. What would you guess is the most quoted passage in the Bible? What do you think is most quoted by people in the Bible? John 3.16, for God so loved the world. What else? Any others? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Genesis 1, the Lord's Prayer. All good guesses. And actually, they're almost all right. Um, the very first one is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Of course, our pastor will get that right. It's a good thing. Um, and then comes Genesis 1, 1. Um, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. And then a favorite um, verse in my family, Jeremiah 29, 11, comes in after that. All right. You guys are pretty smart. Here's a tougher one. What would you guess is the most quoted passage in the Bible by the Bible? That means it's quoted within the Bible itself by other authors. Wow. Whew. Anyone else want to argue with that? All right. Well, actually, I'm going to leave you all hanging just for a minute because it is the subject of the first part of the message is this most quoted passage by Bible authors. But it is in the book of Exodus. There's a clue. So, sorry, John. Um, and Exodus is the second book of the Bible. It's the story, of the true story, of uh, the Israelites, God's chosen people, and how they were set free miraculously from captivity and brought by God with the man Moses through the desert to the promised land. Now, at this point in the story, they are at the foot. Oh, I'm forgetting to do this. Sorry. There's my picture of uh, Moses leading the people. And then at the point in the story where this verse comes in, the people are at the base of Mount Sinai. God has um, given the Ten Commandments to Moses, but he brings them down from the mountain, and, the, and he finds that the people are full of rebellion and sin. Once again, the story is repeated that happened from the very beginning. God provided for the people. Um, he showed compassion for the people, but they turned and rebelled and sinned. God showed compassion, had mercy. They turned and rebelled and sinned. Sounds a little bit familiar, right? We can end up doing that too. And in the point of the story here, once again, when Moses came down with the commandments, he found that the people had um, formed a golden calf and were sinning again. And he was very distraught and he pleaded with God. And he said, please, God, have mercy. And this isn't most quoted yet, but he says, God, show me your glory. Show me who you are. Show me your character. And God is going to answer. So Moses goes back, back up Mount Sinai, four and a half uh, hour hike. And the next day he meets God 
And dun, da, 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 here's the verse most quoted in the Bible. I don't have to look there. Okay. I'll actually read it from here. And he passed in front of Moses. This is God speaking. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. So this is one of the few places in the Bible that God describes himself, where he basically says, this is who I am. Now, I have a, um, an author I like a lot. His name is John Mark Comer, and he says this about this very verse. The writers of the Bible circle back to this passage over and over again. Dozens of times, Moses and David and Jeremiah and Jonah, they quote it and allude to it and pray it and sing it and claim it and complain about it, and above all, they believe it. It is one of those watershed moments when everything changes. This is ground zero for a theology of God. This is what matters most to God that we understand. Now, it is a bit surprising, though, if you think about it, because I would think God might have said, first, his first um, explanation of who he is, he might have talked about his great power, his majesty, the things um, that Pastor Tom talked about in the last couple weeks, his, that he's um, everywhere at once. But he doesn't. The thing he wants us to know most is this. It is the most important thing to him. So I was thinking about it, and it made me think of perhaps a similar scenario if one of you who didn't know my family very well asked me to describe my youngest son to you. Oh, he happens to be here. I didn't know he was going to be here. But I might say, well, he's six foot five, maybe a little taller, weighs about 240 pounds, maybe a little more. He uh, has red hair, blue eyes. And you'd say, no, 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 that's not what I mean. I mean, tell me who he is. What makes Jamie, Jamie? What does he care about? What's he passionate about? What's he like? And it's, it's kind of the same thing here. So then I would answer differently. I would say, well, he's warm-hearted, he's generous, he's easygoing. Are you writing this down? Um, he has a great sense of humor, and he's passionate about the children in Jatha'ini, the GCEC ministry. So much so that when he and his fiance get married, he plans to live there and minister to them in the fall. That's what he's passionate about. And in the same way, God is telling the people, this is what I'm passionate about. This is what I care most about. So our big idea today God wants us to understand how much he loves us. Then he wants us to act in response as a channel of that love. Because love is an action. And love is revealed through action. So let's tear this apart just a little bit and look at some of the pieces of it. Um, First of all, you see that word Yahweh in there, which basically you don't find when you're looking at your English translation Bibles, but um, that is 
how the Lord described himself in the beginning. And Pastor Tom talked about this a little bit um, previously. Um, Yahweh actually means I am who I am. I am the same today, tomorrow, the next day. I am unchanging and you can count on me. So here's the first place he gives Moses his name. Now, some of you know um, I was a teacher, and one of the first things I would do in the classroom is try my hardest to learn the names of the new students. Even if I had four classes worth of new students. Why? Because that's important. It connotes relationship, and people care when you know their name. Names are important. And so this is God saying, here's my name, here's what it means. And to go further, here is my character. And so that's the next part. Um, here's what he says about himself. And I actually could have highlighted a lot more than that. But um, he says, um, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking Moses is most excited about that forgiving part because remember, he has just come back from the people who have once again rebelled and sinned. And for God to say he's forgiving among all those other things, is huge. And probably for us, we feel the same way. That's awfully important to us. So there's another part of the verse that goes here. And I didn't put it up right away because I didn't want, to be, I didn't want it to be a distraction to you. Because honestly, it is a verse that for many years was unsettling to me. All right? So here it is. It comes at the bottom of all that nice stuff that God has said about his compassion. He says, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers and mothers to the third and fourth generation. And I used to have a hard time with that verse before, it was about a year ago that I understood it in a bigger, more exciting way that really makes this whole passage even better, believe it or not. I always realized that God was a holy and perfect God. And because of that, and because he can't go against his own character, he does need to punish sin. He needs to keep sin in check. He is loving and he is just. And that balance is there and I understood that I understood that he needed to be true to his perfect holy character but what I didn't get was that he would punish children for things that they didn't even do but here's what I learned that's kind of cool first of all um, this is something I, I think we might all agree on these points but a parent's sin produces consequences and collateral damage for their children. I think deep down, we know that's true. God doesn't purposely punish our kids, but he allows the natural consequences of sin to play out. Now, um, some of you know, my husband Bill and I uh, work uh, with men and women in the Bridgeport Rescue Mission 
addiction recovery program. And one statistic that we learned a couple years ago was that 70%, 70 percent, 70 percent of those students that are in the program working to re recover from their addiction were either sexually or physically abused as children. 70 percent. And that's a, just one statistic, and I think we'd agree, we've, we've heard this before, there is collateral damage for children. The second thing is that sin runs in families, both caught and taught, both nature and nurture. Just like the color of our eyes or a quirky habit we have, the way we walk, those characteristics, good and bad, get passed on to our kids. And so uh, if um, a parent struggles with anger or selfishness or um, unforgiveness, that can be channeled through to children. And remember, our God who's perfect and holy needs to check that sin, even if it's in a child or a grandchild who has caught it or been taught it by uh, his or her parents. But there is, there is good news, even when we look at this. And um, I think this is actually the best part. Um, because, again, the English version doesn't really do justice to this whole Exodus 34 uh, passage. What scholars will agree this verse actually says, and if you compare it to other verses um, that say a similar um, idea, for instance, Exodus 20, where God um, has given the Ten Commandments, this is what this passage, passage should actually say. God is slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love not just to thousands, but to thousands of generations. Compare that to the fact that he punishes to the third and fourth generation. So um, here's something I was helpful to me. If we think of God having mercy and justice and it being on a balanced scale, this is how I often looked at it, just like this, mercy, justice, mercy, justice. But that's not what these words are saying. These words are saying that it's really like this. His mercy is huge, right? It's a thousand times or thousands of thousands, right? It, we could be talking 500,000 generations. And his justice in comparison has a lot less weight. So it's like 100 hippos on one side and a mouse, maybe a big mouse actually, on the other side. Three-pound mouse would be kind of scary, I think. But thousands compared to three or four, that is his mercy. Now, one of the other important parts that we touched on a little is that love is revealed in action. God has acted on our behalf over and over and over again. He gives us provision. He gives us amazing sunrises and sunsets. He passes on peace to us and meets us in our needs and through trials keeps us going. We can all attest to that. And he was with the Israelites every single step of the way. He's a God of action, right? His greatest action, however, was... Um, sending Jesus, his only son, 
to die on our behalf for our sins. And that's what can equal that scale. That's why his mercy can be so, so great for us. Now, I loved what um, Rich shared, his illustration of um, God's amazing love for us, running to us with open arms. He shows us that constantly, and even in his word, it is true. Now, in a minute, oh, let me put this verse up here. Um, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Now, all that he does for us is pretty unfathomable, to me anyway. But the greatest is his gift of his son. The fact that Jesus had to be sacrificed for us to live. And I don't know about you, it's very hard to, to picture that. The only thing that I can picture, and perhaps some of you that are parents, if you were able to take your child, one of your children, and actually have that child die for someone else, a rebellious, wicked, evil someone else, it's really almost impossible to envision. But that's what he did. We'll talk about more of that in the weeks to come. And right now, we're actually going to go to a time of communion. And um, while you are remembering and thinking about God, which is one of the things that's important to do during communion, I want you to think about his great love and provision for us and also um, the gift of his son. But at the same time, because I'm going to be back up here for a few minutes after communion, I want you to think about what kind of response, what kind of action in response you could and should be giving to God. There'll be um, a few passages up on the screen at the start of communion. I'd like you to read those. Just really think about them while the elements are being passed out and, and really um, meditate on God's great love for us. So Pastor Tom's going to come up and lead us in communion. Francis Chan, who some of you were in a Bible study with us last year, he wrote a book, Crazy Love, which is a good one, um, to, to just fathom God's love for us. And he said, God's definition of what matters is pretty straightforward. He measures our lives by how we love. Remember, he cares most that we know about his love for us, and he wants us to show him that love, respond to his love, and to channel it to others. Have you ever heard this before? Love God, love others. <laughs> That's what we're talking about here. It comes around and around again. Now, um, I have a little illustration here. It's a little, it might be overused, but I still like it. Sponge, okay? If you can picture your life as a Christ follower, as this sponge, ideally what would happen is that you look up to God and to his living water filling you through prayer and worship and time with him, filling you with his love, his living water, his Holy Spirit, so that you have enough in you so you have the water in you, the love in you, the compassion in you, the forgiveness 
in you to then let that water come out and go to others. Whether it's squeezed out or drips out or it's channeled out. That's ideal, right? But unfortunately, too often, we look like this dried up, maybe even a little gross sponge that Bill dug up for me behind the sink. Um, we're dried up. And why are we dried up? We're dried up because we're not going to the source, the tap, to be filled with that living water. And when we're dried up like this, we've got nothing to give. We can't squeeze anything out or channel anything out because we haven't gone to the source. We haven't looked up for all that we need. So our job, really, and what God calls us to do, our action, if you will, is to spend that time looking up be more purposeful about it with God so that we can channel our love out. Now, we might still look like this even if we come to church every other week. Even if we come to church every single week, we might still look like this. Because ideally, we need to get under that tap, that faucet of God every single day to be filled with him. And if we don't, we won't have anything to give. And that can be hard for some of us to think about, but it's so, so important. Over the next few weeks, we, the teaching team, will be talking a lot more about how we can channel love out and how we can look up. But I just want to share one um, habit with you. Um, personally, what has made all the difference in my life and has let me, for the most part, be more like this than the dried-up sponge that I was quite a few years ago. Um, and it's, I almost hate to say the word. I was trying to think of another word for it because people often kind of cringe. But it's the J word, journaling. And um, I, if you're sitting back and cringing a little bit, I was the same way. Years ago, I'm going to say I've been doing this for 20 or 25 years, and it honestly changed my life and was able to draw me closer to God so that I could have that daily filling of God's love so that I would be able to pass it on. If you're sitting back cringing, I was that way too, but I would hear it so many times, and finally I said, you know what, I'm just going to try. I'm going to do five minutes a day write some things down, write my thoughts and my prayers to God. And once I did, I couldn't stop because God found me there and he answered me there. And my life was changed, really and truly. Now, it's almost like you don't get off your chair and run a marathon, right? It's step by step. So I'm going to give you a little step by step, a little strategy for those of you that like strategies. Um, remember, I'm a teacher at heart, and this, I then forget, what did I do with my clicker? Ah, here it is. Um, I've been, um, I've used this strategy before, actually with middle school students, with the women I work with at the rescue mission, and some of you, who was it? Judy, she's not here right now, but I think she's teaching, but um, some of you have heard me say this before. 
But here is a little step-by-step -step challenge that I'm going to challenge you to try and do if you haven't ever done anything like this before. So it's called 321, and I guarantee you can do it in definitely three minutes or less, maybe two minutes or less every morning. And if you get in that habit, we know how important habits are, if you get in that habit, and my challenge is to do it from now till Thanksgiving, I think you might want to keep going. I hope you will, because God will meet you there, and you will be filled like the filled up sponge. But here it is, three specific things you're thankful for. That doesn't mean just my health, my church, my family. It means specific things, gifts that you see from God, like an amazing sunrise or a hug from um, your daughter, two specific requests of God, and one specific thing that God is teaching you. So a lot of people like examples. Here's uh, my example. It's a little hard to, to read it um, because of all the words in there. This is what I actually wrote down about 10 days ago was my 321. So it's an example, a gift, the crackle and smell of the wood stove in the cold morning. Absolutely, my favorite time of the morning is with my journal, my Bible, and of course my cup of coffee. And in the winter, in front of the um, fire is amazing. Um, I was able to have a FaceTime call with my daughter that lives far away, though she's here today, yay! Um, and the third thing I wrote down was I heard some encouraging news about a friend who has cancer. So those were the gifts that I wrote down really fast that day. And then two asks, clear direction for Bill and me and a decision that we're in the process of making and continued sobriety for a good friend of mine who is in the um, recovery program at the mission. And then one truth that God's teaching you. It could be something you heard on a Sunday morning. It could be something God reveals to you in your word because I promise you if you have your Bible open and your journal open, he will reveal to you important truths. And that day, it happened to be that he's in the tiniest detail or wording of every single Bible verse. Just kind of hit me anew. So it's not hard. And I'm actually, I would not be a good teacher if I didn't make you do it right now. So all of you have been given an index card. They're all different colors. And I did that so you'd think there was a reason, but there's no reason. Just so they'll stand out. Everyone has an index card like this. And I encourage you... Uh, two, write down three things that you're thankful for, two things that you're praying for, and one uh, thing God has been teaching you or taught you today or, or recently, okay? And we're going to time it. I don't have a stopwatch, but we're going to time it somehow. And you are going to see that for most of you, it will take you less than two minutes to do this. All right? If uh, you prefer to do it on your phone, that's fine, or something else that you have. I'm going to go back here so you see what it is. Maybe I'm not going to go back. It's not going back, but you get the gist of it, right? Three um, things you're thankful for, two requests, and something that God's teaching you. If you need a pen, raise your hand, and the ushers will come around. I'm going to do that, too. So it's not quite three minutes yet, but I'm looking around and I see most of you are looking 
back up at me or looking around the room. So hopefully you've seen that this doesn't take long. And two or three minutes a day, everyone has to walk closer with God and be filled, the good sponge, with the living water to pass that to others. Um, please take this as a challenge from now to Thanksgiving. Do just this. I know some of you do so much more and keep up with that, but those of you that have never even started to write things down, to journal, to pray to God, let this be day one for you and take it to Thanksgiving. I'm going to um, wrap up by um, praying and then Tom has a couple announcements. God, I thank you so much for your indescribable love for us and that it's the most important thing you want us to understand. And I pray that we could respond with action, action in reaching out to others that starts with the action of reaching out to you and being committed and faithful in developing our time with you even more. And I pray for this little exercise that if people are doing nothing else, they would be able to do this from now until Thanksgiving. I just thank you, Lord, above all for your indescribable love. Amen. <laughs>